Have you ever noticed uh, that joy in this world never seems to last? Uh, perhaps you're looking forward to a holiday, uh, perhaps especially now after the two years that we've had, and you're longing and looking forward to perhaps two weeks away, but then before you know it, the two weeks are over, they're gone, and you have to go back to work back to the normal routine of your life. Or perhaps uh, you're looking forward to buying a new car and you have all this pent-up excitement of what it would be like to drive that new car and smell that new car smell. But it doesn't last very long, does it? And before too long, you're thinking about the next car uh, for the upgrade, uh, for that new feeling again. Or perhaps uh, you look forward to getting married and you think that marriage is going to uh, solve so many problems in your life. And then you get married and you realise that it's not quite so simple as you thought. Um, It doesn't answer all the problems that you thought it did. In fact, it creates a lot more. You see, joy, although it's real in life, uh, it doesn't last. And Many people, for that reason, are almost afraid to look forward to anything because they fear that inevitable disappointment at the end. I confess I'm a little bit like this with Christmas. I'm a little sentimental and I enjoy Christmas. It's my favourite time of year. Uh, But I almost enjoy the run-up more than I enjoy the actual Christmas itself because once you get to it, it just seems to slip away so quickly and then you get the January blues. (laughs) when you have to get back to normal life again. And that basically sums up our lives. Uh, Endlessly looking forward to things and experiencing joy, but it only lasts for a fleeting moment. Well, if that's you this morning, and I'm fairly certain it is to some extent or another, uh, then this message is for you. Uh, Did you notice the words that... Christ said to his disciples in chapter 16 and verse 22. He said to his disciples, Ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Jesus spoke these words before his crucifixions, his crucifixion, and he was warning them uh, that he was going to be taken away from them for a while, and they would grieve, they would be sad, uh, they would be afraid, while the world rejoiced because they had killed Christ. But he's also comforting them that it will not be forever. Their grief will only last for a time. It will be like a mother who goes through the pain of childbirth but then has the joy of a newborn baby at the end. And Jesus says to his disciples that when they experience that joy, when they see him again, when they see him on the other side of the cross, when they go through the night and see him in the morning, they will have a joy which no one will be able to take from them. And that applies to us also. Uh, We live on the other side of the cross, but as Christ gave that promise to his disciples then, 
he gives that promise to his disciples now. That if we are trusting in Christ, we can experience a joy which doesn't fade away. A joy which is greater than the joy of getting a new car or getting a new house or whatever the joy may be. We can have a joy which nobody can take away. And there's at least three reasons why that is so. Uh, Three reasons that we can rejoice and have joy no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. As I say, there are at least three reasons why we can rejoice if we are trusting in Christ. I'm sure there's many more, uh, but I've just picked three uh, this morning. And the first one's going to sound obvious. It's going to sound ridiculous, Uh, but it's the chief reason, you could say. Uh, The first reason that we can rejoice is because Jesus is alive. The reason that we can rejoice is because Jesus is not dead. He is alive, and he's never going to die again. Imagine this, and I appreciate this will be uh, easier for some than others. Uh, But imagine that someone you love dies. Um, You've known them perhaps for years, and they are very dear to you, and uh, inevitably they come to die and they are separated from you. But imagine, by some wonderful miracle, they were raised again. And suddenly, one day they were dead, and the next day they were alive. You'd be happy, wouldn't you? You would rejoice. But you would not be happy because you no longer have to pay the fee for the grave. You wouldn't be happy because no longer have you got any funeral fees to pay for. Uh, You wouldn't be happy merely because you don't have to pay for flowers anymore. Uh, These are no doubt little minor perks, but they're not what you're happy about. You're happy because the one you love is alive. And you rejoice because they are no longer dead. And that's what it was like for the disciples when Christ rose from the dead. They weren't happy. Those women at the tomb didn't rejoice once they could actually believe it had happened. They didn't rejoice because of all the perks that came through Jesus. There are, of course, many perks about Jesus being alive. But that wasn't the chief reason why they rejoiced. They rejoiced because they won they, the one they loved, the one who had grown dear to them, was no longer dead. He was alive. Now, do you remember um, what the women were carrying to the tomb? Now, you may not have pondered this before. Uh, what were they carrying as they approached the tomb? They were carrying perfume and ointments. Why were they carrying them? The reason they were carrying them was because they were expecting to find a dead body. They didn't come with streamers and party poppers expecting to rejoice that Jesus was alive, even though Jesus had told them that he was going to rise. They were expecting to find a mouldering, festering body. And they wanted to anoint it with ointment to try and preserve um, it for as long as possible. But do you realize what that means? That means they got up 
that first Easter Sunday morning without any hope that Christ would be alive. They got up that morning thinking that all their hopes had been shattered. They had followed Christ thinking he was the Messiah, thinking he was the one perhaps who would save them from the Romans. They had followed him for at least three years, perhaps more, thinking he was going to be the answer to their needs and their desires. But three days earlier, he had died. Everything had come crashing to the grounds. And now they were afraid. Now they were fearful. All their hopes shattered. And yet, they still went to the tomb. They still went to honor the body of Christ. Why did they go? Why did they go when there was no longer, as far as they were concerned, any hope? They went because they loved him. They went to the tomb because their hearts had been captured by this man who had shown such love to them. That's why they wanted to honor even his withering bones, because they loved who he was. Let me ask you this morning, do you love Jesus like that? Do you truly love him? You know, it's possible to love church, but not actually love Jesus. Uh, It's possible to love songs and hymns, and yet not love Jesus himself. It's possible to love a whole lot of paraphernalia, which comes with following Christ, and yet not actually love him ourselves. I get concerned sometimes uh, when I see some people who seem to uh, love some churches, but not others. Uh, They seem to love these children of God over here, but not those children of God over there. And it concerns me, because if both are followers of Christ, if both are children of God, then surely that alone is enough for us to love them. If we love Jesus, we will love those who love him also. Now, of course, uh, I'm aware that there are some churches which call themselves churches which are not churches, Uh, They deny this book. They do not teach what this book says. They may profess to follow Christ, but they're not really following him. They don't listen to what he says, and they teach lies about him. I'm not talking about those churches. I'm talking about churches who may not do things the way we do them. They may even do some things wrongly, but nevertheless, they love Christ. And we should love them too, if we love Christ him. Remember those women coming to the tomb. As far as they were concerned, Jesus was dead. That was the end. All their hopes for eternal life, it would seem, had come to nothing. But one thing still remained, their love for Jesus Christ. And that's why when they discovered he had risen, they rejoiced. At first they could barely bring themselves to believe he was alive, so great was their love for him. But when they did believe it, they rejoiced. 
Uh, I very much doubt that Mary rejoiced when she saw Jesus because she'd enjoyed the bread and fish she'd got when he fed the 5,000. I don't think that's what she was looking forward to when she saw Jesus alive. Uh, I doubt she even rejoiced because he would be around to uh, um, destroy and get rid of any demons which possessed her in the future. If you read the passage, we learn that um, Christ did rid Mary Magdalene of a number of demons. But I doubt that's what made Mary rejoice on that first Easter Sunday. I'm not even sure she rejoiced because she understood that the resurrection meant her sin was forgiven. Uh, I might be wrong, but I don't think she understood the theology that deeply. If she had, perhaps she would have been expecting the resurrection. She rejoiced because the one she loved who was dead is alive, was alive again. And it's possible uh, that if you're not joyful this morning, if you're not rejoicing this morning... It might be. It might be because you don't truly love Jesus. Or at the very least, you have not understood that Jesus, the one you love, is alive. And death will never take him again. That's the first reason we should rejoice on this Easter Sunday. Because the one we love is alive. Jesus is alive. But there are more reasons. Uh, let's move on to the second reason we should rejoice. And this is where we move on to the perks, although that's too light a word to use. The second reason we should rejoice is because death has been defeated. Uh, death has been defeated by Christ's resurrection. You know, one of the big reasons uh, why no joy lasts in this life is because even the most long-lasting joys, uh, the joys we get from family, uh, the joys we get from friends, inevitably, even those joys come to an end with death, don't they? Uh, We all die in the end. That is the sad reality of life. So even our most faithful friends, even the most loving families will one day be broken apart with death. Uh, in the Bible, death is sometimes described like a, like a gaping hole, uh, like a kind of bottomless pit or a, a voracious gutter. And every person who dies, it's like that gutter is glug, glug, glugging life away. Uh, Proverbs 30 verses 15 to 16 describes four things that are never satisfied. The four things are fire, uh, the earth as it drinks in water from the rain, a barren womb, and lastly, the grave. Uh, The grave never seems to be satisfied. Uh, Have you ever pondered how many graves are dug every day? Uh, I didn't look it up, I have no idea. Uh, It must be thousands, perhaps millions, I don't know. So many graves being dug every day. And yet death is never satisfied, it seems. But what the Bible says is for the first time, when Christ died, death took on something it could not handle. 
Uh, I said it's like a voracious gutter, but you know when you pour too much water down a pipe, it overflows. It cannot handle the amount of water, and that is almost what happened when Christ died. Death, death itself could not handle Christ's life. And three days later, he rose again. Acts 2.24 says it was not possible for Christ to be held by death. Imagine death like a strong man, and when it met Christ... It meant something far stronger. Uh, or imagine death is like a, a tax collector. None of us like tax collectors, do we? Uh, but imagine death is like a very stingy, uh, miserly, um, strict tax collector. And it's seeking to raise funds for a ruler. And poor debtor after poor debtor comes into the tax collector. And that tax collector cleans them out and Uh, picks their pockets dry, leaving nothing left. And still, despite them being made penniless, there's still not enough. The ruler still demands more. And the text collector keeps collecting and collecting and collecting. That's what death is like. But then imagine a prince walks in. And he walks in with a bucket overflowing with gold. And there is so much gold that it doesn't just only satisfy the requirements of the tax collector, it's more than enough, over and above and beyond what that tax collector requires. That's what happened when Christ died on the cross, when he gave his life a ransom for many. Christ gave his life. He paid the price he did not owe. He lived the life that we could not live. So that anyone, anyone who trusts in him can rise again just like he did. Because death has no more claim on us either. That's the power of Christ's death. It did not only earn his own resurrection, it earned the resurrection of all who would trust in him. Because you know, uh, once a debt is paid... You are free. Uh, It would be unjust if you paid a debt in full and then you remained in the person whose debt you were paying in their debt. That would be completely unjust. Once you've paid the debt, you are free. And that's why Christ rose. He paid it in full, as James mentioned on Friday. Uh, On the cross, he said, it is finished. You could translate that, paid in full. There was nothing left for him to pay. So the grave could not hold him. Beyond that third day, he walked out that tomb because he had paid the price. And the same is true for everyone who trusts in Christ. We will one day die. That is uh, the course of human life. But because of what Christ did, the debt has been paid and we will rise up again out of that tomb. You might notice the verse on the front of your service sheet. From John 11, verse 25, Jesus spoke to, uh, I forget if it was Mary or Martha, and he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Even if the world throws its worst at you and you die, yet if you're trusting in Christ, you will live because of the price Christ has paid. That's the second reason we can rejoice this Easter Sunday morning because death has been conquered. Let's move on to the third 
and last reason uh, we can rejoice this morning. And we've had, we can rejoice because Jesus is alive, he's not dead, and he will never die again. Uh, we can rejoice because he has defeated death, our greatest enemy. But lastly, we can rejoice because Christ has overcome the world. Christ has overcome the world. Uh, look at chapter 16, verse 33. Uh, in chapter 16, verse 33 of John's Gospel, Jesus said these words. He said, these things I've spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. The third reason we can rejoice with a joy that will not be taken away from us is because there is nothing even in this world that it can throw at us that will cause us lasting harm. You know, sometimes um, Christians with good intentions uh, will say things to unbelievers to try and persuade them uh, to become a believer, to become a Christian. And they'll say to them perhaps, oh, if you're a Christian, you'll gain so much more meaning in your life. Uh, They'll say, if you become a Christian, you'll gain peace in this life. And they try to Um, present Christ as the giver of great gifts in this life. And Christ does give us meaning. Christ does give us peace. But it's interesting. Jesus never said in his ministry on earth, he never said that if you follow me, you'll gain all sorts of earthly happiness. He promised peace, he promised joy, but he also said that with it will come pain, with it will come suffering. In fact, you could say he did the opposite of trying to convince people to follow him with promises about this life now. Um, In one of the Gospels, I, I forgot to look it up which one it was, but several people, one after another, come to Jesus saying they want to follow him. And you'd have thought Christ would see this as a wonderful opportunity. Uh, He would see these people, these willing followers who come to him saying they want to follow him. You'd have thought he would do anything possible to recruit them into his band. What does Jesus say to them? He warns them. He says to them, if you follow me, you might lose your home. He says to them, if you follow me, you might have to leave your family. He says, if you follow me, you might even lose your life. And I can imagine the disciples listening to Jesus, and they're thinking, what are you doing? Why are you you telling them the small print? Don't lead with that. They'll never follow you if you tell them all the bad things. And that's what Christ does. Christ does not promise us earthly happiness in the sense of the things that this world needs to be happy. Uh, Read again what Jesus said in verse 33. He said, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Jesus says, This world is hard. Life now can be, often is, difficult. There is pain. Uh, There is suffering. There is persecution. And of course, there is 
death and all the grief that comes with that. Uh, if, you, if your only hope in Christ is that you will have a better life now, then you're going to be disappointed. Uh, the Apostle Paul himself said that in 1 Corinthians 15, that famous passage on the resurrection. He said, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men the most to be pitied. Because he pointed to his own life and he said, I don't have much earthly joy. I don't have much money. I am frequently persecuted. Uh, He gives a whole uh, listen, a whole list of things, the sufferings that he's endured. But the reason he endured those things was because his hope was not in this world. His hope was in another. His hope was in the world which Christ had won for him. But do you see why that's such good news? The reason that's such good news is because, as I've said, there is nothing this world can throw at us which can affect what Christ has won for us. If our hope is in this world, we're going to be terrified every time our job is threatened. Uh, If this world is all we have, we're going to be terrified whenever our girlfriend or boyfriend threatens to leave us. If our hope is only in this world, then whenever some danger approaches us, we're going to be terrified because our hope is in this world. But Jesus says your hope is not in this world. In this world you will have tribulation, but fear not. Do not be afraid, I have overcome the world. This is a morbid truth, but it's truth nonetheless. We will all one day come to death. We will all one day have to face God on judgment day. But then there's eternity. Then there's eternity to face. And that's what Christ is most concerned with. He's most concerned that we are ready for that eternity after life. Now you might say, well, what does that mean now then? What does that mean for life now? Does that mean we just sort of like hunker down in a bunker and just wait for the rapture? Or wait for the second coming? Or wait for death? No. No, actually, the fact that our hope is not in this world, the fact that Christ has overcome this world, actually frees us to live lives of, lives of love in this world. What a waste it would be if we had a sure, fixed, secure home in heaven, and then we just wasted this life doing nothing. We can live this life in the joy and the assurance that nothing truly bad could happen to us. Yes, there will be griefs. Yes, there will be difficulties, and we can't minimize those. But none of them will separate us from the love of Christ. And that frees us to give our lives willingly in love for others. Spend your life. Use it. Give it. And know that at the end, the worst that can happen is you die. The world doesn't understand that. If you say that to the world, they think you're crazy. But we can say that because death isn't the enemy to us, if we are a believer, that it is to the world. To the world, it's the end. To the world, there's no hope after it. To us, there's Christ. As the Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Because to be with Christ is far better. Now I'm conscious you might think I'm being glib. And I acknowledge that there is, of course, a pain to death. 
some people here this morning have lost loved ones in very recent months and uh, even weeks. And death is painful. Uh, it's a painful parting. Uh, we don't like being parted from those we love, even when it's only temporary. But that's the good news. <laughs> the good news for the Christian is that death between Christians is always temporary. That's why the Bible describes uh, death for Christians as sleep. Uh, you know the difference between sleep and death? Death, you don't wake up again. At least, not if you're a Christian. Well, not if in human speak. But if you sleep, you wake up again in the morning. And that's why the Bible describes our death, if we are a believer, simply as sleep. Because we will wake up again. We will be reunited with our believing brothers and sisters. That's why we should be so zealous to want as many people to come into the family of God as possible. Because we want to have that joy multiplied over Hundreds, thousands if possible. We want to be reunited with everyone if it's God's will. We want people to come to know Christ because then death is not the end. Now, I've said this before, but I'll say again. It reminds me of a, um, a story I heard of a, a Welsh man who had died. And he was buried in uh, some graveyard in Wales. And um, it's not relevant that he's from Wales, but that's just how I remember it. And the minister um, at the grave um, uh, spoke, as it were, um, to those there, but also to, in a sense, the man in the coffin. And he said to him, you fell asleep and we have put you to bed, but we will see you in the morning. That's the hope of resurrection. That is the hope that we can look forward to. That's why we can rejoice because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead because it means that our death is merely a sleep and one day we will see each other again face to face there is nothing nothing at all this world can throw at us which needs to take away our joy because christ has risen so those are the three reasons this morning on easter sunday we can rejoice we can rejoice firstly because jesus is alive and he's never going to die again. Secondly, death is defeated. It does not need to terrify us anymore. And lastly, because he has overcome the world. And there is nothing, nothing at all, this world can throw at us which need make us dismayed. And that's why I've chosen as our final hymn, one final hymn on the resurrection, a hymn of praise and thanksgiving to Christ, number 239, Thine be the glory risen conquering son endless is the victory thou o'er death hast won and the chorus thine be the glory risen conquering son endless is the victory thou o'er death hast won so let's stand to sing number 239